You're listening to a sermon preached at Redeeming Life Church. Happy Easter. You all look so snazzy. He is risen. It's been a fun Easter for me because I've had a conversation with our Ukrainians on how that works here. And then they've told me how that works there, and I've already forgot how they say it. I'm very sorry. I was going to try to say it. And I, somebody, somebody in Ukrainian, come on. Christo, who is it? That. Christos Vasilis. See that? Listen to that. <laughs> well, we have a number of guests here this morning, so I thought I would uh, just let you know. I'm Pastor Brian. I'm a lead pastor here. We've been going through the book of Romans in a little while, we'll pick the book of Romans back up after we go through a four-week series in Jude that starts next week. But I thought, hey, it's Easter. It would probably be fitting to talk about an empty tomb, to talk about the risen Christ. And as I was working through a lot of this, John just kind of hit me, his, his thesis, which I share with many people. His thesis in John 20, verses 30 and 31, is necessary for us to consider. Believers and unbelievers, whether you're a Christian or not a Christian, that's what I think would be appropriate for us to look at before we take a look uh, at the empty tomb. So if you have your Bible, or if you would like to use one of those that's under the seat somewhere near you, we're going to be in John chapter 20, looking at verses 30 and 31. It's on page 964 if you're using the church Bible. If you're using the Version app, we've got lots of scriptures and other scriptures that I'll be referencing in there. John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31. And then I would encourage you not to just tuck that away. We're going to be in John 20 uh, for a few other views and, and approaches and examinations of the empty tomb. Let me read God's word for us. John 20, verses 30 and 31. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples that are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Let's pray. Lord, God, please help me. Help me, Lord, to stand squarely on this text, on your word. I trust, Lord, that your word does what you say it does. God, I'm asking this morning that you would speak to us, clearly, all of us, in terms we can understand, by whatever means you see best fit as we examine your word. Lord, thank you for the empty tomb. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for salvation. And God, as we sit and listen, as we examine, as we explore, Lord, may it be a worship act on our part in light of your resurrection. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, we heard Pastor Josiah say it. I'll say it too. Uh, Not only did Jesus perform lots of other signs, many other signs that were not written in this gospel, He also did lots of other things that are not written in this gospel. John says there are also many other things that Jesus did, which if every one of them were written down, I suppose not even the world itself could contain contain the books that would be written. That's John 21, 25. Statements like these get our mind racing, don't they? Pastor Josiah talking about the the kids' stuff. Think about all the stuff that Jesus possibly did. What did he do? 
What did he say? What other miracles? What other sermons could he have preached? What do you suppose we don't have? That's exciting stuff, right? And for those of us who are going to spend an eternity with Jesus, we're going to spend an eternity learning about Jesus. And it's going to be wonderful. We're never going to come to all knowledge of Jesus. We will always be learning. and We will always be in wonder of him. And I think there's going to be something very special about that. However, John has told us that these signs, these particular signs serve a purpose. He wrote them in his book for a reason. And so that's what I want us to look at this morning. Now I realize... Some of you are going, I got all dressed up for Easter. I'm fully anticipating that we're going to talk about the empty tomb and that he is risen and that Jesus is not there because that's what we do on Easter, right? And it is, and we're going to get there. But I felt really compelled this morning to set the context that the Bible sets. I don't want us to just read this free of the context that, that John has put forward for us for the resurrection. So I'm going to see what I can do to set the same context, because we need to understand the stakes. We need to understand what we're looking at, what we're seeing. The stakes are serious. And so we're going to take a look at that first, and then we'll get to the empty tomb. So if we look at, at John 20, verse 31, we've already seen that Jesus said there's all these signs, there's all this stuff, And then in 31, he says, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah or Christ, if we're looking at it a little more specifically in the Greek, the Son of God, and that may by, and may, excuse me, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. These particular signs were written so that you would believe. Well, the most obvious first question is what signs? What signs do we need to look at? Now, this isn't very fair of me, but I'm, we're just going to come back to that. Because if I go there, you're not going to hear the rest of the stuff. We're going to look at the signs, but we need to understand the consequences of the signs. right? If we don't, which is what typically I've done at Easter, is we get really excited, we talk about the empty tomb, we don't talk about the consequences. If we don't look at the consequences, then we approach the various stories and accounts of the Bible like we approach Netflix. Skim through it a little bit, look for something that looks interesting. Oh, that was fun, that was entertaining, and then on we go. But that's not how we should approach this. When I watch YouTube videos, you know, I might watch a, a, a video of a couple of cats having a lightsaber duel. <laughs> and that's fun, that's nice. But I might watch other videos a little differently. I might take them a little bit more seriously. When I can't afford to get my brakes done at the mechanic, I watch a couple videos to see if I can figure it out, and I watch intently. Because the consequences are much higher, aren't they? Especially if I'm going to get in my car and go 80 miles an hour on a Utah freeway with brakes I worked on. I watch with some sense of seriousness. These particular signs that John has provided for us are those kind of signs, the ones we watch with some sense of seriousness. So I'm going to come back to those once we've laid that groundwork. The next question, why are these particular signs written in this book? Why would John do this? 
His answer, so that you may believe. And not just, you know, believe any old thing, not just believe any old Jesus of your creation, but specifically that you would believe that Jesus, as John presents him here, as he says he is, is the Messiah, or the Christ, or, or the Savior. John makes a really clear point that, that our world, I think, needs to hear. Maybe we need to hear. It's not enough just to think that Jesus was a good teacher, that he was a swell guy, that he was a, a nice and nifty prophet. Jesus wants you to see that he is the Christ, that he is the Son of God, the Messiah. By saying Messiah, he is saying Savior, the promised one, the one that we looked for in the Old Testament for salvation, the one that we look back to now for salvation, the perfect lamb that takes away the sins of the world. How? Because he's the Passover lamb, the final sacrifice. When he says Messiah, he's saying that guy, the Messiah. And when he says the Son of God, he's not saying a created being like you and me. He's saying the one who in the beginning, who was with God and who was God is this one. He's saying the one and only Son of God. The second member of the Trinity. He's saying the one who is of the same substance as God himself. Not like you or me, born of a man who is made from dust, and a woman who was made from the rib of the dust man, who then were molded and shaped into the image of this God? Nope. He's saying God himself. That one. The Son of God. The Messiah. That's what we're to believe. Why must we believe it? Who cares? I mean, there are all sorts of things out there in the world I could believe or not, I could take or leave. Why is this so important? John says it. It's because if we believe, we may have life in his name. Life. Not a life over here, or that life over there. Not my best life I could have, or this one, or that one, or I choose. No, life in Jesus' name opposed to the opposite, which is death. So now we know the stakes, and the stakes are high. They're life or death. John is an, an eyewitness. John saw this, walked with Jesus, recorded this with the other apostles. He was an eyewitness. And if John is right, this eyewitness, which I believe he is, then it means that anyone who does not believe in Jesus is condemned already because he doesn't believe in the name of the one and only Son of God. John wrote that in John 3.18. If John is right, as an eyewitness, then it means that anyone who does not remain in Christ is thrown aside like a branch, and he withers. And they gather them, and they throw them into the fire, and they are burned. That's what this eyewitness said in John 15, 6. And if John is right, it means the one who rejects the Son will not see life. Instead, the wrath of God remains on him. That's John 3.36. This is what the eyewitness apostle is telling us. And if the Bible is correct, and it is, then Jesus, as he's proclaimed through the book of John, 
will either be the rock of your salvation or he will be the stumbling block you trip over and over and over and over. And by this belief of these signs, you will either have life for eternity or death for eternity. That's what John's saying. So you see, John, John puts the entire thing back on you. You realize what he's doing? He has supplied the signs. He said, I've done my job. I faithfully presented the account as I was told so that you may believe. That may is a tricky word, but if you see it there in your Bible, it's an important one. Technically, that word comes from the way we see the word believe. The believe there is in what's called the subjunctive. And I know most of you were not expecting a grammar class on Easter morning. The subjunctive mood, something that is very helpful in the Greek, means that it's a possibility. It's a hoped-for thing. It's actually kind of a conditional thing. You have this thing over here that will lead to either this or something else. So if this, then that. It's in the subjunctive mood. If you believe, you may, or excuse me, if you believe the signs, you may believe and have life in his name. It means it's not a guaranteed thing. It's not that if you read the signs, you're going to be a Christian, you're saved. John's not saying that. He's saying you can believe and have life or not. You can take it or you can leave it. You don't need to to try to discredit John, which lots of people do. You don't need to try to cancel John. You don't need to try to cancel Christianity. You don't need to look for all the little nitpicky things in the Bible and go, oh, this, 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 that, and the other thing. You don't need to do any of that. You don't need to, to get upset or get all bent out of shape with the church or the Christians you know. You don't need to try to cancel any of this stuff. You don't have to go that route. You just have to look at the signs and ask yourself, do I believe or not? It's one or the other. End of story. John has put that before us. That's what we're faced with. Now, some of you are going, hey, that's, that's great pastor, but you just really oversimplified it. It's not that simple. I have these conversations often, weekly, and I'm thankful for it, but I have started to hear the same objections over and over and over and over again. So here's some of the objections you get thrown at me. I'll share three with you. The first is, I can't buy that. We don't see miracles like this today. That's not what I see in the world around me. Yeah, no kidding. They didn't see miracles like this in their day. That's the whole point, right? I mean, people weren't just running around, walking on water, doing all this stuff, rising from the dead. No, when they saw this stuff, it was a big deal. You know why? Because they're miracles. Miracles are when God comes in and intervenes and does something that we would otherwise think is completely impossible under our power or our ability or our normal, I was going to say normality, our, our uh, normal, everyday, typical life. They're miracles. Why? Because they're signs, Right? People just weren't raising people from the dead, healing sick people, doing these things. They're signs to say this one, this miraculous one who's doing things like you've never seen is the Christ. That's why they were all following him everywhere. That's what they wanted to see when he came into Jerusalem. That's what they were looking for. That's why the Pharisees wanted to kill him because this stuff didn't happen every day. So when people tell me this stuff just doesn't happen, I'm like, I, I know. <clears throat> People didn't used to run a four-minute mile. I've never ran a four-minute mile. But 
Nobody on earth ever ran a four-minute mile. It was thought to be impossible, and then one day they did. Now it happens. Huh, how about that? People say, oh, people don't just raise from the dead. No. But then Jesus raised some people from the dead. People don't just defeat death and never die again and ascend to heaven. Yeah, but then Jesus did. And someday all of us will. Then it won't be so foreign and different, will it? It's back on you. Believe the sign or don't. I don't see that every day. Fine. Believe it or don't. That's what John's saying. Objection number two. How do we know these guys aren't lying to us? How do we know this isn't just a whole bunch of weird, fabricated, who knows what, it's all just a bunch of made-up hooey? How do we know that Jesus was even real? And it always strikes me when I hear this objection. It just boggles my mind. Because Jesus assigned 12 guys, one of them stabbed him in the back, but they got him replaced, and then Paul came along. He assigned these apostles to be the eyewitnesses And they had instructions for who those apostles would be. They had to be with them from the beginning of the ministry and see them resurrected. They were eyewitnesses. And he instructed them to write this down and to tell others and to proclaim this. They were eyewitnesses together. So we we have accounts of eyewitnesses. We also have this guy named Josephus who was born just a little bit after Jesus was crucified. And he was a historian and he He studied Roman and Jewish history, and he recorded it, and and nobody seems to really have major issues with the stuff he wrote. Oh, except for the few times he wrote about Jesus. Then, oh, forget it. But everything else, we love it. Right? We have other Christians. We have history. We have things to look to. But when people make this, this claim, they're just rejecting it outright without giving it any thought or any consideration. They don't know why they're accepting or rejecting. They just don't want to have to do with it. And then they turn around and they accept completely unthought out, completely untested, completely unchallenged videos from strangers on YouTube or obscure walls of Egyptian hieroglyphics or weird calendars in in South America or the wife of some security guard whose cousin works at a classified place and might be mysterious. It kills me. It kills me when I hear this objection. I was at the grocery store uh, in the evening. We had a couple sick kiddos a few weeks ago. I ran to the grocery store to get some stuff. And um, if my wife doesn't, wasn't dealing with sick kids, I would have probably pulled my phone out and recorded this and said, you've got to watch this. There's two employees stocking shelves that are like in a clearly heated, big conversation. They're talking about prophecy, so it catches my attention. I'm like, okay, what are we talking about here? And the first guy says, it's totally ridiculous to think that God, who lives outside of time, would communicate to people inside of time to tell them about things in the future or things in the past and then let everybody know. That's just so stupid that anybody would think that would even be a thing, that there'd even be prophets. And his co-worker lady, she looks at him and she says, oh, for sure. Then she says, I think that every, I think, I mean, I get it, prophet's ridiculous, but I think, she says, every person on earth has lived in all times and in all universes. 
And our memories are full of all the times and all the universes we've ever been in and all the realities she's telling this guy. And he's listening and he's nodding. And then she says, but the problem is, our, you know, all these memories are in here, but we only use like 2% of our brain, so we don't know how to get them unlocked. And we can't remember, but sometimes, sometimes something happens. Maybe a tumor, maybe a brain injury, she says. And it allows us to maybe get a glimpse of one of these memories we had so that we can predict the future. Maybe this is what happened in Nostradamus. At this point, I've totally stopped shopping. I'm just like, <laughs> what is this guy going to say? He says, yeah, I totally believe that. <laughs> Are you, what just happened? Now, I want you to take just a minute here, and I want you to ignore the answers they gave. Forget what the first guy said. Forget what the second lady said, and just ask yourself, by what criteria did this guy use to determine what information he was going to reject and what information he was going to accept? I'll throw away all this, but I'll just accept this weird story. Like, why? How? They're not, we're not thinking logically. We're not processing information well. So when I hear that argument, most of the time, that's what I hear. Let us not forget that John was one of the men chosen to be an apostle by Jesus, along with other people, in a time when there was many others who saw in the world. He was an eyewitness. We don't need to discredit him for no reason. Let's have a reason for why we would listen or not listen. And then he's saying, as an eyewitness, I'm putting it out here for you. You decide. Here's the third objection. I say, if I say this is true, then I'm going to have to change my life. Right? right? Nobody comes right out and ever says that to me, but I hear it every week. I've heard it from so many people, right? We're going to have to do this. If I examine this and it turns out it goes against something that I, I want to keep doing, something in my life, I, I don't know if I want to change my lifestyle. I want to live according to my, my decisions on all fronts. I don't want to change my sinful behavior. But I don't want to be too hard on people when they do that. It's just flawed thinking is all that really is. If, you, if you're really seeking truth, then seek truth and live by it. But I had this problem. I was working uh, in a secular job. I was going to seminary. I had little kids that were being adopted, and my life was really hectic, and I was drinking one or for sure two pots of coffee every day. And uh, my coworkers would come around and say stuff to me. Articles would pop up every so often. And every single time one of these articles would pop up about the effects of too much caffeine, I very intentionally did not read it. I did not click on it. I didn't want to have anything to do with it because I knew what it was going to say. I knew. So I'm like, I'm just not even going to be, I'm not going to have to deal. I don't want to even hear about it because I'm going to be faced with some decision. My coworkers would come around <clears throat> and they would tell me, hey, maybe you shouldn't drink so much coffee, right? And I would think, well, what are you, some kind of scientist? What do you know? Of course, I wasn't a scientist, but somehow I knew, right? But I'm just discrediting them. I'm not going to hear, because if I hear you and I, then I come to think that you're right, I'm going to have to do something about it. And I was unwilling to give up two pots of coffee at that point. Now, if I was going to be intellectually honest, I should have said, yeah, I know coffee is bad for me. I know this is doing whatever it is all those articles are saying to me. And I'm aware, and I'm still doing it anyway. That's intellectual honesty. We don't ever really want to do that with Jesus. But John's saying, look, believe or don't, and then own it. 
Do you believe? Yes. Do you not? Do you do you not believe? Or do you believe? Yes. Do you do you believe? No. Own it. Don't avoid it. He's putting it here for us to look at. So now you've got the information. So now you decide. So now that's the context. Those are the stakes. Now it comes back to us. So now back to the first question. What are the signs? What part should we read? Okay, so when John writes, but these signs were written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, is John meaning the seven signs? And there are these, if you look at this, you could Google it, we could talk about it. There's these seven I am statements, there's these seven signs that are identified as signs in John. Is he talking about those seven miracles that are, that are listed there? Honestly, I'd, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if he's talking about those or the whole book, but I know one thing for sure. Beyond a, a shadow of a doubt, if you don't believe that Jesus was raised from the dead, it doesn't matter what you think about the other signs. He walked on water, but he didn't raise from the dead. Who cares? This sign is the one that matters. It doesn't matter if he turned water into wine. It doesn't matter if he healed the sick. It doesn't matter if he, if he gave the blind sight, if he made the lame walk. It doesn't matter if he fed 5,000. It doesn't matter that he raised other people from the dead. If he didn't raise himself from the dead, he's a liar. You should ignore him completely. He's not worth listening to. This sign is the sign. Is he risen or is he not? Is the tomb empty or is it not? If you don't believe, you don't believe. If you believe, you believe. This is a condition of Christianity because this is a condition of salvation. Romans 10.9 says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Did Jesus raise from the dead? That's the question. I mean, this is the condition. This is what we're looking at. And if you believe it, you shouldn't have too much problem believing all the rest of the signs. But I'm sure someone is going to come to me after the service or talk this week and say, but I haven't seen it with my own eyes. I want my own, I, I want to see. I need God to give me a personal sign. I demand a personal sign for myself. Okay, first of all, that is not how Jesus said this is going to work. You can either accept him on his terms or you can reject him on yours. Those are the only two options. Second, John was completely prepared for that objection. So anytime I hear that, I know right exactly where to go. Right before John presented us with this charge, he shared this really great little story. If you would look back in John chapter 20, verse 24, I'm going to read the story of Thomas the twin. And this poor guy, he's been branded Doubting Thomas. But if you're going to do that, you better brand yourself Doubting your name because that's who we all are. Let's look at what happened to Thomas. John 20, verse 24 says, But Thomas, called twin, one of the twelve, that means he was an apostle assigned by Jesus to be a witness of the risen Christ. But Thomas, called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. This is after he rose from the grave. So the other disciples were telling him, We've seen the Lord! But he said to them, 
If I do not see the mark of the nails in his hands, put my fingers in the mark of the nails, and put my hand in his side, I will never believe. A week later, his disciples were indoors again, and Thomas was with them. Even though the doors were locked, Jesus came through and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your fingers right here and look at my hand. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Don't be faithless, but believe. Thomas responded to him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen me and yet believed. Thomas heard the truth from the other apostles, the other witnesses. These were his friends. These were his trusted compatriots. They've seen all the miracles together. This guy's seen Jesus walk on the water, feed the, the, the masses, heal the sick, raise people from the dead. Thomas and these guys have been in this together, and yet Thomas is saying, I don't believe you guys, you're liars. I don't believe all ten of you, Judas was gone now, you're all a bunch of liars. He refused to believe, and he wanted an eyewitness sign for himself. Now I wonder, he was an apostle. What did he think was going to happen when he went out to tell people? Like, were they all going to do the same thing to him? He's like, dang it, I was just like you. But Jesus graciously gave this apostle a sign because this apostle had a job to do, to proclaim to the world that he physically saw the risen Lord. But notice what Jesus said about the whole thing. He said, blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. So Christian, so often we want to put ourselves there. We want to go, man, I wish I could have tasted that food that he made. I wish I could have seen him walk on water. I wish I could have been there. But Jesus is saying you are more blessed to be where you're at now than where they were. Don't forget that. Remember that. Cherish that. Now, other passages in the Bible, they encourage the preacher to persuade, to plead, to contend. And I stand on all those, and I just want to do that all the time. But John doesn't do that here. John just simply puts it out there. He says, here are all the facts of what I've seen. Here's what I've seen, believe it or not. The man I saw do all these signs, including all the stuff, including him being crucified and raised from the dead, says that if you believe in him, you will be saved too. Now it's in your court. What say you? I believe in the sufficiency of Scripture. I believe that it does what it says it does. I wrote in my notes, so I'm not going to plead with you, but I don't think I can do that. I just want to beg and compel. But I, I don't want to plead with you this morning. We'll do that another morning. I just want to say, though, if you're a Christian, this is the time to ask yourself, do I really believe this? And if you do, if Jesus really rose from the dead, what are you doing about that? Are you drawing near to him? Are you seeking to love him and love his people and deal with the teachings that he has presented to you? It's a crying shame that the majority of Christianity around the world doesn't seem to believe that Jesus rose from the dead. Because if they did, they would take him seriously and they would live for him. I'm not going to plead that you should. I'm just going to leave that out there for you. <laughs> Jesus said you may have life in his name. Are you living in that life? Are you cherishing it? I hope so. If you're not a Christian, you're not one who says, I believe in Jesus. I'm not sure about all this. Like whether you faced John's question before or not, I want to invite you this morning to consider it afresh. I want you to think about it. Is he right? Is he wrong? He's invited you to make that call. 
This is one of the only places in the Bible I can find anywhere where you get to make an assessment about what the Bible says and judge it. Everywhere else, the Bible talks about you. In this case, you get to look at it. What are you going to do with this? John tells us this account of Jesus, that Jesus was born of a virgin, a fulfillment of prophecy, which a huge amount of his life was a fulfillment of promises. He lived a perfect life, not sinning even one time, so that he could be the perfect sacrifice, like the Passover lamb, that would take away your sins. And if he didn't do it, you'd still have the wrath of God on yourself. That would have been your cross, your burden. And if not now, in the life to come, when you open your eyes before God. He was crucified on a sinner's cross and crushed by God for all the things that you've done against the holy God so that you could be reconciled back to him. He was dead. Joseph of Arimathea laid him in a tomb. And if you don't know the story, I mean, the reality is we always preach this story, but all of you guys probably know the story. If for any reason you don't know that story, grab a Jesus Storybook Bible, grab a Bible, take those, read the book of John. It takes about two hours to read the book of John or like 10 minutes in that Jesus Storybook Bible. Come talk with us. We'll tell you the story. Talk with anybody else in here and say, hey, he is risen. And if they say, he is risen indeed, go, great. I don't know what you're talking about. Tell me about this Jesus. And they will. We want to work that out. If you don't know the story of Jesus, let's do something about that. But I believe most of you know this story. So here's how I want us to end. Look back at the beginning of John chapter 20. I'm going to read John's account of the empty tomb. John 20, starting in verse 1. On the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark. She saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb, so she went running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, which, by the way, is John, and said to them, They've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they've put him. At that, Peter and the other disciple went out, heading for the tomb. The two were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and got to the tomb first. Stooping down, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then following him, Simon Peter also came. He entered the tomb and saw the linen cloths lying there. The wrapping that had been on his head was not lying with the other linen cloths, but was folded up in a separate place by itself. The other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, then also went in, saw, and believed. For they did not yet understand the scripture that he must raise from the dead. Then the disciples returned to the place where they were staying. There is only one question for you now. Do you believe? Jesus is risen. Let's pray. God, I thank you for the empty tomb. I thank you for the witness of John and all John went through and the other apostles to be a witness, to, to get this written down for us. I thank you for how you've superintended this message that we would see these particular signs. And I thank you for the Holy Spirit that would stir in our life that we would see. God, I pray any in here who do not see or are stumbling over this gospel over and over and over again, Lord, open their eyes so that they would see, save them, that they would praise you that they would find joy in the empty tomb, that they would be excited about Easter because of everything that it means. The ramifications are so great. 
Lord, let us not take this lightly. Lord, let us truly, truly stand on your truth when we say he has risen. And when we respond even, he is risen indeed, Lord, let it be true. We absolutely, there's nothing we believe more than this truth. Lord, shape our lives by it, inform us, conform us, Lord, that we would be people of the empty tomb. Lord, that every day would be Easter for us. Lord, that every Sunday would be the opportunity to celebrate that the tomb is still empty 2,000 years later and will stay empty And someday our tombs will be empty too. Oh Lord, we praise you and we thank you for Easter. We thank you for the cross. We thank you for the empty tomb. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. We'd love to have you as our guest. For more information, visit redeeminglifeutah.org.